0: Welcome to Bricker
1: by Bricker, a podcast to support parents with building productive partnerships between home and
0: school. I'm Jamie Bricker
1: and I'm Carol Bricker
0: and we are once again discussing topics that are important to parents as they support their children throughout their educational journeys.
1: And Jamie you and I have spent over 30 years in Ontario's education system and and actually if you look at our actual whole careers from our when we were students to now it's even a greater amount of time but um, you know we bring that experience of the classroom teacher, the special education teacher, uh, the administration uh, role uh, to our podcast so and we also bring that parental experience you know as we supported our our two adult sons through their schooling
0: years. Well well said Carol and hopefully, That allows us to look at different issues from a variety of lenses. And throughout our podcast up to this point, and we will continue to do so in the sense we want to discuss timely topics that closely align with the school year. And I think you'd agree, Carol, at this point, nothing could be really more timely than discussing some of the key aspects of proposed government changes and plans regarding the future of education over the next few years.
1: And if we look at the latest government statements on these proposed changes, they're the results of some data that they collected last fall in a st- survey that um, included you know, a variety of stakeholders. And you know, there's about 72,000 teachers, parents, students, and employers who took part in this survey, and they responded to questions ranging from math and STEM curriculum to the health phys ed curriculum, looked at skilled trades and work-related skills, as well as EQAO and cell phone
0: usage. And as a result of this data, discussions about class sizes, technology usage, the health and phys ed curriculum, and back to basics and math have really been front and center the past few weeks across all different forms of media and I'm willing to bet included in many water cooler conversations I know I'm sure there's been lots of
1: parents uh, discussing the you know the the situations at work so we really wanted to focus our discussion today on one of these key issues And that being that the back-to-basics math curriculum. And with regard to math, the survey showed that, you know, most respondents felt there was needed to be an increase in the amount of class time devoted to math. There need to be an increased focus on math fundamentals. More practical examples needed to be used, and there needed to be an increase in the availability of teacher resources and teacher training.
0: Well, Carol, when I hear this survey mentions the need for more time devoted to math each day in our classrooms, it really triggers two thoughts to, for me. And the first would be, A, we must take steps to ensure that that additional time is really used for the optimal benefit of each of our learners, but also B, let's kind of pause things now and look at how much time is presently spent on math instruction in our classrooms. And throughout our elementary school day, as you know, there's 300 minutes of actual academic time. And presently, across the province of Ontario, all elementary kids must receive at least 60 minutes of math instruction within that 300 minute day. But as you know, Carol, there's also time in other subjects, say like science, which is going to increase that you know 60 minutes of actual math time to more like 70 or 80 minutes because there's so many oh, different definitely. applications yes. so you know, in science. That
1: transfer over and that cross-disciplinary. Absolutely.
0: So I think the 60 minutes is understated. I think it's more like 75 or 80-plus which out of 300 minutes means obviously that about one quarter of every elementary school student's day is presently devoted to mathematics.
1: And really, when we look at it, that that's a significant amount of time being devoted to math instruction. Oh,
0: no question. And also that math instruction can really manifest itself in numerous ways. Mechanisms such as large group instruction, small group instruction, the all-important independent work time, and of course small group work time
1: and if we look at the the current math curriculum and for many years this curriculum's been in place the math was divided into five strands number sense and numeration, measurement geometry and and spatial sense patterning and algebra and data management and probability
0: now to now kind of take those five strands look at them over the course of the 10-month year as we all know, the year is divided into two five month terms, and each strand must be assessed during at least one of these two terms, with a total of four strands minimum assessed each term. But it's important to note at this point that number sense enumeration has always been the only strand that must be assessed in both terms.
1: So, obviously, it has been a priority. And when we look Absolutely. at number, sense, enumeration, you know, this strand includes everything that would fall under what's being termed the basics. As you know, it's the major focus is on those four basic operations. And, you know, if we look at over a child's school career, you know, these operations understandably get more difficult and and involve larger numbers and more steps to get that final answer. And, And really, the basics have a strong connection as well to the other four strands. So it really does make sense that we spend a significant amount of time of our instructional time on this strand compared to any of the other strands.
0: Well, I want to stress emphatically, Carol, that I am not minimizing the importance of the basics at all. But as you well know, throughout my educational career, many years of which was spent teaching math in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's really important that the basics are taught more in a contextualization situation rather than simply in isolation. In other words, let's apply the things in a meaningful context rather than just having endless drills. Because as we well know, it's been very clearly shown over the years that Students being very adept in basic skills, that does not necessarily correlate in any way, shape or form to that same student, having a really good, solid understanding of the important mathematical concepts.
1: And when we look at it, you know, addressing this need to increase the focus on the math fundamentals, and it's we're looking over a four-year period. The government uh, that the government's going to in, implement this. There is a great quote on the ministry website. Uh, looking particularly at the parent page and, and you know, they're saying by getting back to the basics of fundamental math concepts and skills, Ontario will once again be positioned to be a leader in math education. And, and so I think that really needs to be looked at uh, a little because, you know, where are we currently with regard to our standing in math and are these fundamentals really going to
0: move us forward? Well, and once again, uh, to kind of carry over a thought you had a few minutes ago, these fundamentals, of course, in essence, are the four main mathematical operations, the addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And this message from the government is really all about having these skills uh, kind of setting the stage mm-hmm. for, you know, as kids yeah. get older and they'll be better prepared for more advanced concepts like algebra and various aspects of integers and so on. But that really, I think, is kind of begs the question right now, we need to kind of pause, and let's do a little comparative, Carol, of just an overview of kind of the proposed versus the present situation when it comes to these math fundamentals and how things presently stand in Ontario's elementary schools. So looking at proposed versus present, proposed would be understanding of using numbers. Presently, they are following in our schools, quote, Understanding of how much a number is and how numbers are related to one another. So obviously pretty similar.
1: Very similar. And another proposal is that with the new math fundamentals that students will gain an understanding and and recall of math facts using a variety of strategies and if we look at our our curriculum documents presently you know they're saying that students will develop an understanding of patterns of basic operations by learning effective counting strategies so again very Very similar. similar
0: And our final example, because obviously we could go on and on, but we just want to briefly make our point. Proposed would be understanding how numbers behave in operations. And presently in our curriculum, quote, understanding patterns of basic operations. Once again, a very tight alignment.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say, that these are just a few examples of a pretty clear pattern that the new proposed changes to math instruction are, in fact, very similar to what's already occurring in classrooms across the province.
0: Well, certainly, in what we've read, thus far, a lot of it's kind of semantics versus really a, yes. a fundamental change. Now, what is also being proposed in math instruction is returning to traditional formulas and memorization techniques. But what is really meant? by memorization techniques.
1: And I think many of our listeners will assume that, you know, we're suggesting that we return to those drill and kill techniques, completing those minute math uh, worksheets, or subjecting students to a steady stream of flashcards until they can prove that they know all or most of their math facts. And, you know, it kind of reminds me back to when I was in school and, you know, we had this game sort of thing where, you stood up and around the, world. around the world and competed against another student to see who could recall the math fact the quickest. And, you know, if we look at, some students in those situations, you know, it was really deflating for them.
0: Well, and they were engaged in that quote activity for all of five seconds. Mm-hmm. And after they were eliminated, they then tuned out for the next half hour, hour. while everyone went around the class. Right.
1: And so we certainly weren't reinforcing their skills by those sort of activities. So that's not really what's being meant when we talk about, you know, those memorization techniques.
0: Well I just want to reinforce Carol when we when we say drill and kill. The drill part's pretty evident, but what's killed is really the student's enthusiasm Mm -hmm. and confidence in math. Now, when focusing on fundamentals in math in, in that teacher guide, I really love this quote from Dr. Alex Lawson at Lakehead University, when she makes a key distinction and says, quote, children should learn their number facts. However, they would benefit from learning these facts by using an increasingly sophisticated series of strategies rather than by jumping directly to memorization. Couldn't and, agree more.
1: And when we look at the strategies that are being proposed that students will be using, it's things like understanding the concept of plus and minus one, that you you look at a number and you increase by one or you decrease by one. Similarly, the plus and minus two. Or understanding the, the concept of five and ten and using that as a basis for adding and subtracting numbers, or the concept of doubling, again, with the 5 and 10, knowing them as multiples and the patterns that are, are associated with that. And by using these strategies, then those math facts can become a little more automatic for students.
0: Well, and I think, too, to extend kind of the multiples of tens into hundreds and thousands, I think it's really important for all of our kids To really feel comfortable and recognize the fact that, say, seven times eight, in essence, is the same question as seven times 80 or seven times 800 and so on. Mm -hmm. So those kind of extensions are really important. But what's also really important to note is that these strategies are, in fact, currently being taught to our students and have been in place in our classrooms for basically the last 20 years or so.
1: And there's uh, a variety of what I'm referring to as curriculum guides, effective guides to instructions that are available to teachers and have been, as you say, since the the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, parents can go onto the e-workshop website in order to see what these documents are so that they know kind of the strategies that teachers are using. And really, if we look back over the the generations, the basics were the key component of what we would refer to as the original three R's of education, as you know, it's referring to that arithmetic piece and the underlying skills and memory associated with correctly performing these operations with numbers, you know, they'll always have their place in math. But it's important to stress that, the, you know, elementary schools are already devoting considerable amounts of time to develop these skills with
0: their students. And at this point, I think it's important to stress that you and I are both very well aware that many math students are, in fact, strong in both the basic calculations and the far more complex applications. But what we're really trying to stress right now is that that is far from always the case.
1: Oh, definitely. And so what we're really getting at is that, you know, throughout our careers, you know, we've taught a lot of students who could recall multiplication facts or various math facts very quickly. But many of these same students struggled with numerous aspects of the other four strands. Uh, such as being able to recall a whole bunch of facts and figures, you know, doesn't necessarily correlate to students uh, being more successful to tackle three D uh, geometry or understanding volume of various containers or you know theoretical probabilities.
0: And conversely, certainly throughout my career, I have worked with numerous students who really could you know, conceptualized things very well. And they had a really good understanding of the bigger picture of a concept. And yet due to weak computational skills on their own, they would rarely get the actual correct answer. And that leads to another discussion, which could be a whole other podcast. But just very briefly, I think that's important in that context for students to have access to a calculator, because, of course, we're just looking for a broader concept not their numeration skills, but that would help them get the correct answer for that bigger concept. The whole issue is what is being assessed. And I just want to stress when we're assessing their basic skills, obviously calculators are not in use. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important if we're assessing their conceptual understanding of a broader issue by all means, let them use a calculator. Would you not agree, Carol?
1: I certainly would. And and from the spec ed background, looking at the students that I've supported over the years, you know, a lot of times that was that accommodation that was put in place for them so that they could tackle the bigger components of the math curriculum.
0: Well, that has led to a lot of kids tuning out for math because it's it's kind of Recurring frustration, unit after unit after unit, when when they may well get the concept, but they don't get the basics. So I think it's important we work on the basics, absolutely. But while we're applying other concepts, depending on the situation, at times, a calculator is certainly a very valid tool to use.
1: And really when we look at comparing the basics in math to authentic problem solving, you know, it's very much analogous to comparing spelling skills to compelling writing and, and that, you know, a good speller has, you know, can have little impact on being that passionate and persuasive writer. Similarly, that recalling facts correctly may or may not have that connection to mastering key math concepts.
0: Oh, well said, Carol. I think that's a really apt analogy. And I think it comes down to that balance between the teaching of math facts or the basic skills and the opportunities to apply these skills. And we realize we've been around long enough in education. We realize there are strong beliefs on both sides and we get it. But it's important that we need to spend the time on the basics, but also embed them with routine application opportunities.
1: And if we look historically, the basics generally have been taught in a linear progression with computations becoming steadily more challenging. And many students over the years have been, you know, as you say, subjected to days and weeks of math calculation until, you know, they were able to display that significant mastery to be allowed to proceed to that more practical application. And the mastery of these Facts was a prerequisite to understanding and applying them in all mathematical
0: contexts. All students need the opportunity to apply things in a meaningful context on a routine basis throughout the days, weeks, and months of school. And as you all know, with your strong spec ed background, different supports can be in place to facilitate that. But all students need that opportunity because it helps them see the bigger picture, but also it really reinforces. When you apply things, it helps to reinforce what basics for that given student require additional practice.
1: And when we look at adults who, you know, claim that they stink at math, and and we've talked about that as well, that there's adults feel more comfortable to admit that they're not good at math, but would never say, I'm not good at reading. But when we look at them, generally they're, in fact, almost always referring to their previous failures and frustrations with those basics and not necessarily with understanding and applying the actual mathematical concept.
0: Well, as you know, Carol, I've said many times over the years in this very household, I consider that the height of irony when we're having students who consider themselves, you know, kind of failures or really struggling in math because their basics are poor and that kind of negativity keeps getting reinforced. And yet, they're the same students who rarely got the opportunity to really see if they are, in fact, you know, kind of competent, Mm -hmm. skilled math students. So that kind of irony, I think, is something that we really have to work to kind of resolve and give everyone the opportunity to really explore math in a meaningful way. And certainly over the years, once again, routine and repeated exposure to different formulae and memorization techniques has created a situation where I think a lot of students have an acute affliction of what I like to call Algorithmitis, which simply means they have found out over the years that they are basically just required to know what number, the correct number, to stick into the correct place at the correct time to get the correct answer as they're following a teacher imposed algorithm or the teacher imposed script. And I am convinced throughout my career that all sustainable learning must, in fact, ultimately be student inspired. Rather than teacher imposed,
1: well, and I look back to when I was a student and I could plug those numbers into Absolutely. algorithms beautifully. you know, I was I knew which algorithms to apply to, which situation. but really, it wasn't until I was you know teaching math and working with kids and developing their understanding of the reason behind this algorithm. Did I truly understand why this algorithm worked or applied and 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 I think moving forward that's the the big thing that's so powerful for students is getting them to come up with and determine the algorithms on their own because there's then there's much more of a personal connection to that and we certainly know that that that's a critical piece in learning is being able to apply what you learn to what you already know but if we look at you know, young children, for example, when they're first learning how to determine the area of a rectangle. You know, the the rectangle is drawn on grid paper and they lovingly count up all the different squares and get to realize that, you know, the the total number of squares inside that rectangle is equivalent to the area of the rectangle. But then as things get bigger, and the numbers get larger that they're counting up, you know, they soon begin to recognize that you know, they can do it much more quickly if they do multiplication of the length times the width, and that, that they get the, the correct answer that way.
0: Oh, absolutely. I look back when I was teaching at those kind of grades, you know, two, three, four, five grade level, way back and you're right like the eyes would kind of go oh because they got tired and say if it was a six by 12 rectangle Mm -hmm. counting up those 72 little squares took way too Too long long. well and i kind of relate it
1: to when we're initially teaching uh, multiplication and how we use arrays to to show them that and really if we look at the grid inside of the rectangle, that is that array that the kids have been using to learn math or to learn multiplication. So they can see that relationship there as well.
0: Yeah. Powerful visual. And we don't have time obviously to get into a whole lot of specifics of, you know, exactly what to explore in math, Carol. But I think another biggie to mention in this podcast are are rounding and estimation as they are just huge and they can be, uh, explored in a variety of ways, both at school and at home. And we'd like to reiterate that parents can play a huge role in developing these skills in their child.
1: Oh, definitely. And, and when we look at estimation, And rounding, like they're both such life skills. And the other day, I had a great uh, kind of example of someone who was using that estimation when I was at Tim's and I had ordered our two teas, and you know, he said that it came to six dollars and something. But before I had a chance to say anything, he quickly, hmm, you know, that's not right, and went back and looked at the, you know, what he had punched in and and made that correction, but. You know, it was so it was so quick how he did that, which was awesome because so often when we come to cashiers with all the auto automation scan, and scan, scan, scan. You know, that they're not even really looking or thinking no. about the, the number that they throw out.
0: And in terms once again of parents supporting developing rounding and estimation at home, as you know, Carol, over the years with our own sons, we were really big on the three Bs bake it, build it and buy it and when you look at how many kind of baking and cooking opportunities within a household uh, loads of household product excuse me projects and products but in terms of how much you would need and the cost of it and things like that and i think it's important to routinely involve your children in, in those discussions to talk about unit versus total cost to get into those comparisons and conversions among different units of measure so the bottom line is every household just possesses a wealth of opportunities for parents to really have their kids develop those estimation skills.
1: And the three B's really provide many authentic learning opportunities, those discovery opportunities that encourage learners, you know, to build on their past experiences and their knowledge, to use their creativity, and then to search for new information and truths. And then kind of to build on that the financial literacy piece, which parents certainly can be reinforcing at home with their students as well, but that was also a focus of the survey and is a great alignment with those basic math operations and applying them to real-life contexts.
0: Well, that makes it highly relevant for the learner. Mm-hmm. And as you say, too, it lays the foundation for really lifelong skills. Mm
1: -hmm. And was something that a lot of the respondents felt that we weren't currently focusing enough on in our
0: curriculum. And I think that's a totally valid point. And along that line, it has been proposed that with the new math fundamentals curriculum, it will emphasize financial literacy through all grades, which I think is fantastic. And it will become, in fact, mandatory by the time you're children get into high school.
1: So if we again look at currently what's what's happening with regards to math concepts, or I'm sorry, money concepts, these are addressed in the number sense enumeration strands for grades one to eight. And then at the secondary level, there was a previous p- pilot that was including the financial math skills in that mandatory careers uh, curriculum at, at the grade 10 level. Uh, with the plan that it was going to redesign that curriculum and be introduced in the fall of 2018.
0: So at this time, the the 2006 version of the careers curriculum, which isn't listed on the ministry website, which parents can obviously quickly access, uh, this version does not include financial literacy. So now moving forward, I think it's fair to assume that this is where the financial Uh, math will be included at the high school level.
1: And the last item that we wanted to touch on that was addressed through the survey is that increased availability of teacher resources and teacher training.
0: Now, in August 2018, the ministry released on their website a teacher's guide that provides teachers with resources they will need to move away from the discovery math and back to the traditional formulae and memorization techniques. And we have already discussed what these techniques will include. And then
1: they also indicated that they would be hiring more math facilitators and leads at the districts and school levels, and that these facilitators and leads would then focus on supporting teachers with the implementation of the the math fundamentals. Now, currently, if we look at all boards across the province, they already have math facilitators and leads. So not necessarily sure if this is meaning that additional personnel will be hired. And when we look at the supports that that this staff are providing, and it is that instruction and the resources for teacher to be able to further develop their math instruction.
0: Well, as we've mentioned earlier, uh, the whole issue of allotting additional time for math and additional money for math, and now we're talking about additional support personnel for math in all three cases, they all sound great, really positive, but I think it's really important to get things really clarified as to how all of those things work together for kind of optimal impact. And the basics in math, once again, I know we've been a bit repetitive, but we feel it's a really important kind of thesis. They will always be important, but they'd be so much more important if they were learned and practiced through these types of discovery learning opportunities, both at home and school. And Carol, I know you'd agree, it just legitimizes things so much more in the learner's eyes and minds.
1: Well, and you can see why it's relevant, why you need to know that
0: as opposed to You need to know this it for the next yeah, chapter. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huge difference. Way more sustainable. Now, for all disciplines, but particularly mathematics, which of course is one of our big foci today, the most meaningful learning, and this is one of my pet phrases, I, I confess, most meaningful learning is measured by how much a student uncovers, not how much a teacher covers. And, you know, Carol, students need routine opportunities to apply these basics in rich, challenging tasks rather than simply following prescribed steps.
1: And as mentioned earlier, these proposals are going to take place over the next four years. And there really are a lot of questions still about how this new curriculum is going to unfold and how it's going to impact our students. So, and
0: that's the bottom line. Let's face yeah, it. Yeah.
1: So this is something that we you know we'll continue to monitor, and and you know if there's additional information available, we'll certainly be sharing that. But always wanting to remind our listeners that if they do have any questions or comments, that they can email us at jamiebricker.com or they could contact us through our website brickerbybrooker.com. And please remember that you can follow us on VoiceEd Radio. But if you have another format that you're using, we're also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Anchor.
0: And we look forward to connecting with you next time on Bricker by Bricker.